Are you looking for inspiration on a daily basis? Well, check out Deal to Heal Teas. With our inspirational teas, you're sure to find something that will inspire you. Just go to dealtoheeltees.myshopify.com. That's Deal to Heal Teas. Put some inspiration in your situation. Wear inspirational tea and be inspired all day. That's Deal to Heal Teas at dealtoheeltees.myshopify.com. Hey guys, this is Ernest James, host of the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. And I got a question to ask you. Could you buy me a cheeseburger? Better yet, could you buy me a value meal? Yes? Well, guess what? I don't need a value meal. However, for the cost of a value meal, you can support this podcast to keep us on the air. Just go to Patreon slash Deal to Heal podcast and choose any one of the three tiers that's available. And if you just want to make a one-time donation, go to Cash App. And make a donation to dollar sign E James, the number 418. Make a one time donation to the Cash App, or again, go to Patreon to support this podcast and keep us on the air. Thanks in advance. Be blessed. Welcome to Deal to Heal with E. James Podcast. On this podcast, my guest and I will discuss topics and ways to help us to heal in every area of our lives. I believe that everyone can live a life that is happy, healthy, and whole. So I'm on a mission to help people to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem, heal from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. I am your host, Ernest James, and I believe that everyone can and should live a life that is whole, healed, and healthy. And therefore, I'm on a mission to help people to deal, to heal, and to fulfill. To deal with your problems, to heal from the pain, and to fulfill your purpose. Thank you guys for tuning in one more time to the Deal to E. James podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you listen, like, subscribe, and share uh, the podcast with um, your friends and family. Um, definitely uh, follow us on your social media outlets, um, our YouTube channel. We'll definitely try to get those numbers up as well as um, all of our other uh, social media outlets. That we're pretty much everywhere. So if you look up Deal to for EJ's podcast, you will find us. Uh, so definitely um, thank you guys for following us, those that do. Uh, subscribe. Make sure you guys subscribe. And then don't keep it to yourself, but share it with someone else. You know, if you have a friend, family, family member, someone you know, I'm sure that there's someone that can use uh, the information that we share here on our podcast. Um, so our next thing that we want to do um, is uh, definitely, again, I already mentioned, uh, make sure you guys follow and subscribe to us, but we want to talk about our product of the week. So our product of the week, as you guys know, we are a self-sustained uh, podcast. And so, you know, the way that we stay on the air is with the, um, with the help from you guys, right, from your support. And so our uh, Hold on a minute. Something right. Our um, 
Let me move that to that in the quiet. Our, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I'm all mixed up right now. Our product of the week. So our product of the week, we are a self-sustained podcast. And the way that we sustain ourselves and keep uh, ourselves on the air is by giving you uh, products and uh, things that you can purchase in order to share uh, that's going to add value to you, but also is going to be able to support us to stay. So our product of the week this week is our ebook for males to men ebook. So you guys can see that from males to men ebook. Uh, the ebook is at um the ebooks is at our website of uh, ebooksbyejames.com. I made that real simple so you can remember ebooksbyejames.com. So you can go there and check out uh, the ebooks that we have available. Uh, besides from males to men, there's an ebook called The Four Core, which is the four core values that every daughter should receive from her mother. And then there's also one called Forgiving Me, the course of self-forgiveness. Uh, all three of those are available at uh, ebooksbyejames.com. And also you guys can check out our website at dealhealfulfilled.org. That's dealhealfulfilled.org where you can find out everything that we have going on with speaking engagements, workshops, um, uh, the podcast, more information about the podcast, and also about um, our... Uh, what am I trying to say? Our webinars, I'm all mixed up today. Our, our webinars and also our ebooks. Okay, done with all that. So <laughs> let's get into this interview before I mess up some more stuff. So today, just like any other day, we are blessed with a guest, Mr. Frank. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. I am good. First of all, let me say thank you for being on. Uh, of course. And doing anything else, but you took our time to be here with my listeners, and I want you to know I appreciate it. And so uh, let's jump right in. So can you do me a favor? Introduce yourself to my listeners and let us know who you are and what it is that you do. Well, my name is Frank Leonardis, and I am the author of the best-selling A Journey of Hope, My Path from Pain to Purpose. Uh, I go out there, I speak to students, I speak to adults about their stories and my stories and how my story can impact somebody else. All right. All right. So, Frank, I want you to do, do me a favor because I know, um, as I always say with all my guests, uh, there's a story before the story. Right. So now you have a book and, and you are a best-selling author and, and speaker. But there was a story before that. Right to get you even to this point that you're at now. So tell us a little bit about who was Frank before and what was that journey to get you to the place that you are now where you're able to not only talk about the things that you experienced, but how you overcame it and, and now talk to others about it. Okay. Uh, well, there's there's a lot to, I don't know, where should I be? Where would you like me to begin? Would you like me to be in? Like, Just start at the beginning. Just start okay. at the beginning and we'll come, come back. <laughs> All right. Start from the beginning. So I grew up in New Jersey with my mom and dad and we lived a pretty, we lived an okay life. Like it wasn't, wasn't poor, wasn't rich, but uh, my mom and dad didn't really get, get along very much together. But at the end of the day, we, we'd go on trips together. We spend a lot of time together, but. As time kind of went on, uh, my mother was starting to get sick and my father and I would take trips to see his mother. And that's when we started figuring out that she was sick. Uh, 
So fast forward a little bit. My mom was in the hospital and she had HIV and cancer. Mm. And we got the call while we were visiting his mother, my father's mother, and we, we sped over there and I, I crawled up onto the hospital bed and I said, I love you, mommy. And she said, I love you too, Frankie. And then she passed away right there in my arms. So that's, that's where I always like to begin the story because that's, that's the, that's one of the first hardships that I've experienced was dealing with the loss of my mother. But I always saw it as an opportunity for my father and I, I like him and I were always going to be that ultimate team together, but that's typically where my story starts. But we can go back a little bit further now and talk a little bit about bullying at the daycare center that I was going to before in kindergarten. So when I was in kindergarten, uh, my father would take me to this daycare center and there I was getting picked on by these two kids. Oh, these kids caused me so much trouble. <laughs> uh, so one day I went to the bathroom and I, I closed the door and they started I heard them starting to approach and come inside of the bathroom. All of a sudden, they kicked the door in, and while I'm sitting there on the toilet, they, they like ripped me off of the toilet, grabbed my head, dunked me inside of the toilet for 10 seconds. Hmm. 10 seconds goes by, they let me out, bam, back down again another 10 seconds. Uh, and this was uh, kindergarten? This was kindergarten. This was oh. inside. Yeah, this was in the daycare center, though. Not like, exactly in the school, but in the daycare. And after that, they picked me back up, put me back down again for about 10, 30 seconds. It felt like it felt like forever. <laughs> um, but after that, after after they were done with that, I remember just looking in the mirror, just staring at myself, just crying just hurting in pain. Like what, what do I do? Who do I tell? Can I tell somebody? And then, no, I didn't tell anybody. I remember I went home later that day. My father picked me up and I didn't tell him, but he didn't even, he didn't let me shower when I got home. He knew that I smelled terrible, but as I grew, as I grow older, I started to understand more that why he wouldn't let me shower. It's more of a control thing, a control thing between him. So he had that power over me. Uh, my mother also was not aware of this at the time because she was still alive. Mm. Well, are you an uh, only child? Were you an only child? I have a brother. He is in his 50s, so there's definitely an age gap. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you talked about your mom passing away. Um, and I know you were, you were uh, pretty young at that time. Um, with that experience of her uh, passing away in your arms. And the reason why I bring that up is because in, in my journey, um, yeah. my mom passed away uh, from cancer. And before my mom passed away, my mother-in-law at the time also mm -hmm. had passed away from cancer, uh, both of them. And in my heart, my, my wish was always, you know, I wanted to be there. Like when they take their last breath, I wanted to be there. Yeah. And but I don't think that was what God wanted for me. 
because no. literally in both times I was there at the house with both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, now these are three years apart, these two, these two passings, but I'm there with both of them. And you know, it's like, okay, they're you know stable, they're doing okay, you know, and I'm like, I want to be here, you know, when they take their last breath if that's what it is. And yeah. so, but in both cases, it was literally like I walk out the door to go, you know, wherever I'm going, and then it's like, oh, they gone, you know, and like with my mom, it was crazy because I was at the house, you know, because I didn't live with my mom. I lived in my own house probably like 30 minutes away, and I was at the house where, you know, we're there, my family's there. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go home. It's probably like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go home. I literally left her house and drove to my house. By the time I'm walking in the door of my house, my cell phone rings and it's like, yeah, mom just passed. You know, and it was just like, I wanted to be there, but with those two experiences, it was like, okay, that wasn't what God you know, wanted me to, to be in that place, you know, even though that was my desire, that's not what he wanted, you know, because literally it was like right after I left both times, you know, so even with that, with your experience, I know you were really young, you know, with that experience. But how did you deal with that at that time? And then even now, uh, years later, how did you kind of process it and still uh, deal with it now? So at that, I was six years old when that happened. And the way I just looked at it as like my father and I were a team back then it's like I didn't really understand what was going on like I knew that she was pat like she passed away and that she wasn't going to come back but at the same time it's like my brain's not fully developed back then so I don't know what's going on I see my father's going through all these emotions and, and crying and he's he's going through all the stages of grief but I was a little bit different because I didn't understand fully what was going on and now that I'm older I, I use it to my advantage it's that I realize that time's not going to stop for anybody. So I got to take advantage of what time that I have right now with the people who I love and what I want to do most in life. Okay. All right. All right. So, so you and your dad from that day going forward, how was you guys relationship, you know, moving forward? Because now, like you said, it was, it was just the two of you. So now you are sort of a team. So how did that, how did that go? Best of times and the worst of times. Uh, so he, he was a little bit abu he was abusive uh, with my mother, and he was moderately abusive of me back then physically um, while she was still alive. But there's a story that comes after she passed away, and that includes me scratching his car. So when I say scratching his car, so I don't know if you watch wrestling or WWE at all at any point in time in your life, but... Yeah. I was a big fan of uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, uh, D-Generation X. And so him and I would just scroll through the channels, and eventually we found something we wanted to watch, which was wrestling. And I took, a, I, I took like, they were my idols. I watched them. They were the first two I saw with Shawn Michaels and Triple H, and they always would throw up the X, the, the DX thing. So I thought it would be a good idea to start drawing Xs all over his car. Um, <laughs> yeah. His new, his brand new 2004 Silver Mercury. Yep. I thought it was a great idea. So I draw little X's on the outside of the car. Um, but I never told him that it was me. But then I started to make mistakes. I started to do it on the inside of his car. I did it one that was one, one X right on the radio and on the dashboard. 
And then he was starting to get skeptical about how are these scratches getting inside of the car and how are these scratches getting outside of the car? But I was doing this not to hurt him at all. It was just because I liked the signs of DX. I thought it was a cool thing back then. And then one night, uh, my father called the police and they, he made a report. Uh, the police officer came over, looked at the car, looked inside of the car, came inside of the house and recognized those same X's on our kitchen cabinets. Oh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So <laughs> I was also doing it inside of the house. These nice little brown wooden cabinets. He sees a few X's there. And the officer kind of explained to him that he should be looking elsewhere rather than accusing somebody that's outside of the house. So my father, I was sitting there doing my homework. I was starting to sweat because like he, he knew it. I knew that he knew it. He gave me that look and the police officer left and he's like, I know you did it. Tell me that you did it. I know you did it. And I, I just was like shaking my head and just crying the tears are starting to flow. Cause it's like, uh Oh, <laughs> uh oh, here it comes. Like, I don't know how he's going to react. I don't know what's going to come next. And he stormed, stormed over to me, grabbed me by my hair, right off my chair, threw me to the ground. Uh, just started dragging me, cursing at me, yelling at me, saying, I fucking hate you. This is all your fault. Picked me back up, threw us. We had this big glass wall unit, threw me right into the glass wall unit. I fell over, shards of glass everywhere. He's screaming at me, telling me how much he hates me and just he wishes I was dead, wishes I wasn't ever born. And I'm just screaming and crying, just telling him to stop, begging him to stop. And he wouldn't stop. Eventually, he would walk away as I'm just crying there on the floor, walking, not walking, but like crawling towards my bedroom. So I, had a, I crawled to my bedroom and I started laying in bed for, I, I, I can't exactly give you an exact time, but after I was in bed, I was just crying, sitting there like, what do, what did I, what did I do? What, what did I do wrong? Because I didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't understand that drawing X's on his car was going to be a bad thing. I didn't understand that drawing X's on the cabinet was going to be a bad thing. That was going to hurt him that bad. I never wanted to hurt him. But after, after that, I heard the stomps. I heard the stomps. He came back into the room and he started hitting me again. Uh, open palm, not hard enough to leave a bruise, but hard enough for it to hurt. And he would, so I had a, across from my bed, I had a TV. I had some VHS tapes in the cabinet, some PlayStation 2 games and whatnot. And he grabbed, he started, he opened the cabinet, started grabbing the VHS tapes, pulling all the tape out. If you, do you remember VHS? VHS yeah, yep. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Pulling the pulling the tape out and just throwing it at me and throwing the VHS tapes at me, getting my DVDs and video games, snapping them in half, throwing them at me, screaming at me, repeating the same thing over and over again, saying, I wish you never won. You're just like your fucking mother. Uh, and then eventually he would walk away again. I'm sitting, I'm lying there in bed, crying, just in so much pain. And I'm thinking to myself, what? <laughs> Why? Why me? Uh, all the all the things I loved, he was destroying. He was breaking everything that I loved. Um, so he walked a bit. I walked away. Wasn't too much longer to where he walked back. This was one of the final times he walked back, and this time he walked back with a leather belt. Um, I, he was like Superman that night. Um, 
I remember him. He, he jumped over the bed because I, I, I thought time I was I was done. I really just wanted to get away from him. Like I was scared. I was scared. And he started hitting me with my like whipping me in my legs, uh, a little bit on my back. But I'm, I'm sitting there uh, just crying and screaming, yelling at him to stop. Please stop. Please stop. And eventually he stopped, walked away. But I was laying there in bed thinking to myself, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? But then I can't exactly explain what it was, but something sparked in my head. And I firmly believe that it was God telling me that, Frankie, no matter what, you're going to be okay. And there's a reason for this. I was no older than probably eight, eight to nine years old when this was happening. And I just felt it. I knew that my life had a purpose at that given night. That given night, I, I, I remember it to the T almost. And I just remember that that voice in my head telling me like, hey, you're going to be okay and that everything's going to work out. And that was that lasted for about two weeks where it would be a re- repeated cycle of him coming in there, hitting me because I was I was grounded. There was <laughs> it, there. I was. Grounded, I believe it was around Christmas break. I can't give you the exact time or maybe over the summer, but I knew I had off of school. So um, that was about two weeks where it was just terrible of him acting the same way. But overall, that cycle continued. That that cycle never stopped. And and- so you're, you're eight years old, maybe, when this happened? Yeah, I'd say between seven and nine, right around that, that age frame. So did you ever kind of, because it seems like, it sounds like your your father may have just been angry, just like something, not anything that really had to do with you, but just something that probably dealt, that he was dealing with that just made him angry all the time. Were you ever able to kind of digest that in your mind that, you know what, yep. that was just dealing with, what, what was that, do you know? So in 1976, my dad was hit by a car going between 40 and 60 miles an hour. And he was launched up into the air and pronounced dead and was told he was never going to. And then eventually they, they resurrected him, but they told him that he was never going to walk again. By the grace of God, he did walk again, but he was on pain medication. <laughs> so I believe that it all stemmed from his addiction to the pain medication, um, because as I got older, I was noticing the patterns of how two weeks out of the month he would be on his pain medication and he'd be. Nicest guy in the world, friendly, passed out on the couch, sometimes watching watching TV, eating ice cream. Then the last two weeks was when the monster came out, hmm. when he was going through withdrawals. Okay, okay. So, so I'm I'm guessing you know that. So you said that continued, you know, yeah. when you were about eight. Then how how long did that cycle continue? Like. Over years? Yep. So we'll continue on with the story. So about – it was the New York Yankees versus the Philadelphia Phillies World Series. I wanted to go to to my aunt and uncle's house to watch it with my uncle. My uncle was a a huge baseball fan, and I really wanted to watch the game with him. And it was nothing that that against my father. Like I didn't – I I wanted to watch it with him too, but my uncle was into it a little bit more. So – I went to my aunt and uncle's and after the first night, he told me that I needed to come home and that 
he wanted me to come home or else he would st- he threatened to break my items again. All the items that he would have got me or that he got me. And after he did, after that, I told my aunt and uncle everything that was going on inside of the home. I said from the littlest things to him stealing in stores, to him smoking pot, to, to the abuse, to everything. Um, my aunt and uncle called Child Protective Services, which is called DIFUS in New Jersey back then. And I was placed in my aunt's home for around eight, to, around eight months. And I, I had a great time staying with my aunt and uncle. Uh, they, they fed me. They gave me everything I wanted. They, they cared for me. They, they showed me how it was to live in a, like a, a normal, stable household. Uh, but eventually, after the first two or three months, the honeymoon period ended because I began to talk with my father over the phone. We'd, we'd, so we just now started to have phone conversations again together. And so little did I know I was being manipulated to my father telling me that these, my aunt and uncle were, were Satan worshipers, that they're these terrible people and that they don't love me and they're just using me and they're using me to get money and anything you could think of to manipulate me to not like them. And I started believing that. I started believing that he was right, that they didn't like me, they didn't care for me. And I started back talking to them and I just wanted to go home. I wanted to go home to my dad. And he told me the one the one night over the phone that I need to go to my cousin's room and cut his Eli Manning jersey. And that's exactly what I did. He, my dad said, this would send them over the edge to get you to come home. So I cut up his jersey and... Eventually, I went home. This was near the end of that eight eight months or so, and I went home. Uh, he wasn't as bad when I got back back home, moving back to hit with him. But that's because also there were now workers coming to them. There were social workers checking in on me two, three times a week, as well as counselors. But we were able to avoid that. He figured out a way, a loophole through the system. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we figured out a way through that. And that was by moving to Pennsylvania. Uh, we moved to Pennsylvania because of my dad's, one of my dad's best friends, his name is Tucker. And they were really close. He owned the, the Columbia Drive-In and that for the main theater. And we would actually come down and visit him with my mother. Uh and to go to the good of his movies because he let us go for free. And we all used to hang out and have a great time. We used to hang out with his son. And so that's kind of how we ended up in Pennsylvania because through that connection. Uh, so we moved to Pennsylvania and all of the, like the, the, the files, they didn't transfer over from New Jersey to Pennsylvania at that point in time. Like there was, there was no records. So all the social workers and, Counselors stopped coming over to the house to check on us because we moved to PA. Right. Hmm. So with with that, once they no one was coming to check on you, then it kind of went back to, you know, how it was before. Or was it still okay? Or did it get a little better as far as the treatment? Um. Uh, yes and no. I, I believe like I could ramble on and talk about how nothing ever changed because. I mean, nothing really did change. He would, he was still very abusive, whether I was doing something, well, quote unquote wrong or quote unquote right. I, I, I didn't know what, what was right and what was wrong back then to him. 
but I one thing differently as I, since I moved to Pennsylvania was that I made friends. I made an excellent group of friends who really helped me out, but at the same time, my dad didn't want me to hang around with them because he was afraid that I was going to love them more than I loved him. And with that being said, it's like I had this this four four or five o'clock curfew where I was only allowed outside until four or five o'clock, and he'd come right right down to the middle of where we used to live in Cool Creek, and you used to see his silver mercury coming around saying, "Frank, you got to come inside right now." And it's like it's the minute it got dark out, or the minute he wanted to be inside, he would drive his car and come pick me up. And at nighttime, we would be forced, I'd be forced to watch movies with him, which it wasn't so bad. Like we loved watching movies together. That was something we did that like did not involve abuse. <laughs> yeah. Like I was, I was, I was able to sit there and watch my Rocky movies or whatever movie he'd love to play his action movies, his horror movies. And sometimes it was good but at the same time it's like i didn't have a choice so I, I, that is abuse i didn't have a choice to but to watch movies like i couldn't go on my playstation and talk with my friends or i couldn't play any video games and be by myself because i had to be with him yeah so, so as you as you grew older you know even now how did you you know like even when you're talking to to you know some of the students or or, or you know people that you're talking to how did you you know, kind of deal with that now to the point where you're healed from it, you know, and what are, what are some of the things that you even encourage them to do to try to, you know, if they're even in that same space to try to, you know, uh, overcome, you know, the abuse that may they may be feeling. And even going back to the bullying also, because that's, I know that's even more so now, you know, yeah. than, well, I, I would say than it was when we were, when I was younger, but I don't know because I wasn't the, the blunt of it, you know what I mean? So I'm sure there were other students that, you know, went through the same thing that you may have went through, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking to the students, just about uh, not only the bullying, but, you know, just overcoming a, a bruise, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, some of the things that it helped you or even some of the things that you teach them, you know, to be able to deal with it. So as I, I will, I'll continue my story actually, because that's like where it goes next. So it was ninth, it was right around ninth grade where I began to do my first sport track and field. Um, I, I, I did it with my best friend, Anthony. And quite frankly, that was my safe place to get out of the house. I also, I enjoyed working with the track coach, Mr. Artery, who later becomes one of my, my biggest mentors and a father figure for me. But so I was doing track and field and my dad called the track coach and Anthony's parents saying, Frank, you got to go home, come home. You're not competing tonight. And I, I remember I like hung up the phone. I was so mad and I, I competed. I told Anthony's parents about what was going on. And that was it. That was the start of the same cycle that happened in New Jersey with the social workers. So I spoke up. And I moved in with Anthony. I only lived there for, for a month. And while living there for a month, it was it was great. I mean, but that, that was short-lived <laughs> because I knew for a fact I wanted to go home to my dad. My, I, I needed my father, and I, I knew he loved me, and I thought that what I did was so wrong by leaving him and, and telling somebody what was going on inside of the house again. 
Was this so, was that how you were feeling, or was that how he was making you feel? Was that an honest feeling that you came to? Just like, man, I shouldn't have did that. Well, that's how he was making me feel. Okay. That's exactly how he was making me feel, and I mean, that's how I felt because of the way he manipulated me. Mm -hmm. So we went to court. And he got me back within the month. He did all the proper steps to get me back, went through all the little classes and that kind of stuff. And it, he got me back right after that court hearing. Cause I, I fully believe that he was going to be better and everything was going to be great again between us. You know, whatever, what, what, whatever I consider great. <laughs> yeah. And um, as soon as we get outside of the courtroom, he calls Anthony's mother and says, I fucking won. I hope you fucking die of breast cancer, you bitch. And then hung up the phone. And I was sitting there inside of his, outside of the courtroom, like, oh my God. <laughs> Here we go again. Right. Nothing changed. He got, he fooled me. He fooled me. And he fooled me how, good. How old were you at this time? Mm, I'd say about 12, 12 ish, 12, 13, maybe. Because I, I was in ninth grade at the time, so. Okay. And that was April, May-ish because of track season. Uh, so, yeah, I moved back on with him. But I will say the physical abuse kind of kind of stopped, kind of weaned away. I mean, it was still evident. Like, it still happened. But it wasn't as bad as the emotional abuse that I was going through, being told that I was loved one day and hated the very next day for something. It didn't matter what I was doing. So that's that's like the, the biggest part of that. And so that cycle continued for, I'd say, another year or two uh, up until 2014. Then I I got my first, I had my first girlfriend and things started to become worse between him and I again. He would start to become really jealous that I did love somebody else uh, that that wasn't him. Uh he spoiled that relationship pretty bad by he, he called her parents up and told them that that we were having sex in the bed because I put I put the dry I put my sheets inside of the dryer but we never would do anything like that that was never in my mind or her mind like we spoke very well we, we communicated with one another and that was on neither of our minds and that kind of put a wrench in our relationship because we weren't really able to talk with one another or see each other except for in school now, because now her parents thought that. Yeah. And that, that that's when like the physical abuse started more. Cause then I, st I started, I started speaking up for myself. Like I hated this. I couldn't stand it. This was going on. It's like every time I'd even try to call her on the phone, I would hear click. That was my father listening in on the other home, home phone line. Cause he, he wanted to listen in to every single little thing. And it's like, then I started to act out a little bit by, by saying like, what are you doing? Like, I, I, I'm upset with you. Like why? But I wasn't really able to show my emotions with him too well. Anyway. So after that, after like I had this girlfriend, um, it was right around Thanksgiving fall, fall break, Thanksgiving break. He was, I don't remember exactly what I was doing at that given time, but I was inside of my game room and Playing my games, I was on I was on the PlayStation mic with Anthony. We we're just playing something, and he starts screaming at me to get him something. I go and get him something, and as I came back, he 
just he had his cane with me started swinging it's like just came after me while I was in the kitchen and I started swinging his cane at me I'm ducking underneath the tables making sure he doesn't hit me and whatnot but then I head back to my game room he heads back to the, the living room like nothing ever happened he hears me laugh I believe it was a laugh he came storming storming after me um as I'm standing up in my game room then grabs me by my shirt and just spits in my face, starts slapping me, hitting me, and then he gets a cigarette out of my mouth and just tries to poke me on my chest with it, starts trying to jab it on my chest. Thankfully, he didn't do anything, and eventually the cigarette fell, uh, but he he did that, and that broke me because I'm, I'm, I'm literally standing there like holding him too because like, I, I would never, ever get defensive or hit him or do anything like that. And I'm just screaming there, I'm so sorry for what I did. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he just tell I fucking hate you. And just the comments left and right, wishing I was never born. It was the same cycle from him. And eventually he left the room and I laid down on the ground thinking, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I can't. I can't keep dealing with this. It, it was – that was – it, it hurts so bad because I just didn't know what 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 he wanted with me. Like whether he loved me or he hated me, I couldn't do it. So it was about three days later. I went to my guidance counselor and told her everything that was going on inside of the house, and that was it. That was the last straw. And I I ended up moving in with my one of my best friends, Tyler, uh, who who was a big part of our Cool Creek our cool Creek crew. And thankfully they took me in. Uh, so I remember the last, it was December 5th. Uh, I saw my father and I packed my bags and cause the, the kid, the caseworker, me, uh, one of the police officers and another counselor came and just, they told me to grab all my belongings. Cause I don't know how, they don't know how long I'm going to be staying with Tyler for. So, I remember as I walked out to the house, my father crying and saying, Frankie, I'm so sorry for everything that I did. And I love you. And I just want to be that team that we used to be again. I want to, I want to make things right. And I'm sorry. It's, it's, I'm sorry. It's all my fault. I'm sorry. And he, I said like, I love you, but there's like, there's nothing I, I can do. I just, I kept walking. I walked into the car and I saw him as I, as the window was, rolled I, I rolled the wind like the window was rolled up and he started like just started screaming like at the people because they were taking me away again and that was it two weeks later after that we had no communication no contact and my lawyer that my guardian that my guardian lawyer he came over to tyler's house and knocked on the door and said hey frankie there's no easy way in telling you this but your father passed away this morning and that was December 23rd of 2013. And I remember my head just fell to the ground. I was crying. I, I had no idea how to respond. I was, <laughs> I was broken. And I, I went to the, one of the, like their kitchen, their dining, the kitchen dining room at their table. And I just sat there with my head in my hands, like what comes next? <laughs> Where does my life go next? Like, he was all that I had. He was the only person that I, I thought 
showed me any type of love, care, happiness, <laughs> any type of emotion. Like he was my world. He was my life. No matter what he put me through, no matter what that cycle of violence that I was going through was, he was the only person that I, I, I felt that way toward that I loved. So he passed away and, uh, he just moved on forward with life. I actually ended up living with Tyler for a longer term and it, it was, it was great. I mean, we had our, so, what's up? Did you, did you ever find out, you know, with your dad, you know, like I said, I, I, it, it sounds to me like maybe he was, he was angry for a lot of things. Maybe, do you know uh, anything about his upbringing and his relationship with his parents? Maybe. Yeah. So, with that being said, my my grandfather I never got to meet, and anybody that that you would ask about him, they would tell you that he was this the absolute most amazing guy in the entire world, and he loved and cared for everybody, and and would do anything for anybody. But what my father told me was that he was abusive towards my father, but that was only when my father would do something wrong, mm -hmm. and my father brings he talked to me once about there was a time where uh he found out that he was or that he got his girlfriend pregnant for the very first time and he talked about how my how he choked him up against the wall but like my aunt on the other hand like i know that my grandfather never did a single thing with her but it was only my father when he would do something wrong but that doesn't make it right one way or the other yeah um so that's where i believe that part of that came from so, so at that point, then you're, you've, you've already had lost your mom and then you lost your dad, you know, yeah. how did you deal with the, just the grief of losing two parents? Because with, with me, I, I, you know, I have lost my mom, but my dad's still here, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so I, I haven't had that experience, you know? And so you're seemingly still pretty young. You yeah. know, at, at that time, definitely still a teenager. Um, so how did you process process that? Or, or even now, how do you process even, you know, dealing with that grief and, and you know, going through that process of, of dealing with losing both parents? Um, well, I mean, it's almost it's almost identical to when my mom passed away. It's like I know what's going on, but I don't know what's going on. But I, I look at it as I can't change it. I can't control it. And there's nothing I can do about it. It's, it's happened and it's done with. It's. I, I, I wish I can go back and see and, and talk to him and tell him like, like, just that I loved him and everything, but I can't change the fact that he passed away. <laughs> and that's, that's how I like, even today, it's like, I'm older now, but I'm, it's, it's, I mean, we're, we're going on 10 years now that he's passed away about and I, I can't go back and change anything, nor would I want to go back and change anything because it, him passing was one of the biggest blessings because if he was, I, I, I firmly believe if he was still around today that I'd still be at home with him and the cycle still would have continued and I wouldn't have known right from wrong. Who knows? I, I don't know if I would have went to college. Who knows if I would have started to wrestle? Who knows if I would have been in a happy relationship like I am in now? Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about that. So let's fast forward. You know, um, after everything that you you've been through, you decide to to write this book. 
and to become this this speaker. So how how yeah. what was that process to even give you that idea that you know what I, I think I want to share my story. So as soon as my father passed away, I actually <laughs> I got I got a pen and paper out and I started writing. That was yeah, I was 15 years old. It was literally within a few within a few days, I believe. And the, the original title I wrote down was a journey of a broken heart. That was my original title that I wanted. But I took so many years off because I was like, ah, this could wait. And I don't even know what I'm doing at that point in time. But I actually started writing again when I was around 18 or 19. So this took about four years to really get through it. But I've always wanted to be an author and I've always wanted to tell my story to people. And I've always envisioned my book to be, to be a movie, quite frankly. That was like my biggest vision was my book to be a movie and to be out there and it's just empowering millions of people and my story being able to empower millions of people. And that's where I like, that's, that's the, my purpose of this story is to just share it and see who I could help. And when I, when I talk to students and I talk to kids, it's like with the book, I, I my story just might scratch the surface of what other people have gone through in life, but there's something in my story that you can, that somebody could resonate to, mm. whether it's something the same, whether it's something similar or something completely different. I have been through one of those same emotions that somebody else has gone through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so how, how has that been? So I, I, I know you're, you're a bestseller. How long has the book been out now since, you know, since April. you finished it? Um, this year? Last year, April, April of 22. So almost a year. Okay, cool. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. We're coming up on a year and uh, it's been, it's been great. It's been very humbling. Uh, I remember like, <laughs> so I work out avidly. At, at um, Club 2000 here in Hanover. And I remember just somebody walking up to me and just started talking to me about my life. And I'm like, how do you know this about me? And I was like, wait a second. That's right. I got a book out there that tells my entire story up until 21 <laughs> years old. But no, I, it's it's honestly amazing because this is the whole point of the book. I, I, say, I say it as soon as the book releases, like, it's not about me. It's It's always been about we. It's like, how how many people could can my story help? I, we're all in this together. If if my book is gonna take off and help millions of people, it's gonna be because of everybody else believes in it and believes in the project, not just myself. Right, right. Oh man, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. So now, what what does your life look like now? I know you mentioned about a relationship and and college. So how, how do you, what does your life look like now? So uh, after I. I moved out of Tyler's when I was 18 years old and I, I went into a group home through Valley Youth House and that was, that was by choice. So while moving into group home, they gave me the option. I had to stay there for six months and then they moved me into my own apartment, fully paid for until 21 years old. So I did exactly that. I moved into my, I moved into the group home and I've never like, I would never dormed in college, but I would, I would assume that it's like very similar. I've lived yeah. like two other guys. And I mean, we had our arguments here and there, but it was fine. Like I was fully fed. I was given, given money to purchase foods and to help pay with any type of bills that I would have. And they took great care of me. <laughs> and then I, after six months, I moved into my own apartment in Wrightsville, which is where me and my friends, like everybody lived. <laughs> so I lived there for a few years, which was great until I was 21. I, I went to hack for two years and then I transferred over to Millersville to receive my bachelor's degree. And then eventually I went back to Millersville to receive my master's degree in social work. 
And once I turned 21, 22 ish, I moved in with my now fiance, which I met in high school. So we've been together for eight plus years and it's been a, it's been a blessing. (laughs) She's been a blessing putting up with me for eight plus years, but uh, forever grateful for that. So that's kind of what life's looking at me, looking, looking like right now. I, I got into pro wrestling a little bit after right around 21, 22. That was very, very brief, ton of fun, but not healthy for my back. <laughs> um, and also had commitment issues with it. It's because like, it's like I always found something else to do, whether it was hang out with my friends, hang out with Katie, my fiance, or just something. So I kind of made an excuse. But overall, once again, it was unhealthy for my back. But I, I, I performed in a few matches, which is super cool because it was always a dream of mine to, to be a, become a, a wrestler or possibly wrestle in the WWE one day. So I got to wrestle. I got to meet a bunch of amazing people. And uh, there's some stuff out there on YouTube. If you're ever curious or whoever is listening to this, that's curious. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, did you, did you, um, I heard you say you got a, a degree in social work. Did you become a social worker? Yes and no. So I've actually been working in the field since I was eight. Well, I worked at a nursing home when I was 16 for around three or four years. And then I worked into uh, in the youth develop, youth development center for a few months, but that was third shift. Uh, I can't work third shift. My brain does not function on that. Plus, I was pulling 24-hour 24, 24 days, which was awful. I hated my life. <laughs> uh, then started, and then I worked at community services for uh, a few years, about three-plus years, which was amazing. I got to work with some amazing people. And now I am going to be starting my journey at a school district in New Oxford as a school classroom therapist. So I'm super excited to see where that journey takes me. And actually, next Friday, I get to go back to my old high school and speak. This is for the first time I get to speak at a high school in front of all grades nine through twelve. And this is a huge opportunity for me, and I'm I'm, mm. I'm so excited to see how it goes because that that's my dream. My dream is also to speak on stages. It's like tell my story to these kids, see what they can get out of it, see how they can prevent the cycle of violence from happening or what they could do to help somebody else. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I wish you all the, all the luck, man, with, with that, you. that engagement. Um, that's a similar journey that I'm on now, especially getting into the speaking space uh, myself is to be able to go to to the school and speak directly to the students and even yeah. the, the teachers and stuff too. Um, but oh, yeah. definitely the, the, uh, the students is, uh, I have, I have a heart for, so I definitely, uh, wish you luck on that, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, so much for being on, first of all, just for, for sharing your story. Uh, it's an amazing story that it is. And, and I know that, you know, just hearing about the things that you went through and whoever reads the book, I'm sure there's more, way more that you (laughs) we could have shared this in this uh, hour that we've been together. Um, But I definitely appreciate it. I want you to, um, I want you to have the last word, and I want you to leave us with uh, a word of advice, word of inspiration, ever you know, have you you know feel uh, to do that, and definitely share your social media handles and 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 all of that you know, uh, uh, with the listeners. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about that. Um, to my listeners, uh, I forgot, I mean, I forgot to tell you guys, um, in the beginning, but I'll mention it now, you know, um, there is a way that you could win a hundred dollars from the podcast that doesn't cost you anything. 
And that is by joining our super subscriber contest. So what does that mean? So you must subscribe to our YouTube page, uh, our Facebook page, and our podcast on Spotify. So after you subscribe to those three places, you will text the word WIN, W-I-N, to the number 866-326-0730 to qualify to win $100. And it's that easy. The uh, contest is random and it's ongoing. So once you're in, you're in. You're never got to re uh, reapply. And at any time, you can become a, a super subscriber winner to win $100. So again, join our super subscriber contest uh, to win $100 uh, from the podcast. You just have to subscribe to our Facebook uh, group, uh, Facebook page, rather, our YouTube page, and our podcast on Spotify. And after you've done those three things, you text the word WIN, W-I-N, to the number 866-326-0730 to qualify uh to win $100. Um, another thing that, that I have going on, I'm very excited about that I want you guys to definitely check us out is I'm a part of a organization called the Forgiveness Mission. And uh, you can find us at forgivenessmission.com. And what we do, we have free work, uh, virtual workshops every quarter of the year. Um, at the time of this recording, we just had our first one for this year, uh, like two weeks ago. Um, but we have them every quarter of the year and we talk about forgiveness, what it is, what it's not, who it's for, you know, forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others, forgiveness of the world. Um, definitely in this time, you know, that we have dealing with a lot of uh, abuse or, you know, bullying and things like that, there will come a time where there will be some forgiveness that you would need to do, you know, just for yourself, for the betterment of yourself. And so definitely want you guys to check us out with that, theforgivenessmission.com. Again, the workshops are free. Um, they're one, we do one every quarter of the year. So that's four. Uh, sometimes we throw in an extra one. Last year we threw in an extra one. We did five, but uh, pretty much every quarter of the year we do one. So go to forgivenessmission.com um, to find out uh, about those. And what else we got going on? And uh, our last thing, our websites are up. Uh, definitely check out um, our website at dealhealfulfilled.org. Dealhealfulfilled.org. You can find everything about um, speaking engagements, workshops. Uh, there's also links to get the eBooks and to get our T-shirts that's a part of our inspirational line. Um, or you can go to ebooksbyejames.com to get the uh to go directly to get the ebooks or go to deal to heal tees at uh my shopify.com which is on shopify to get the inspirational uh tees that we have available so again we are a self-sustained podcast and we stay on the air with your support and so uh we i do have that you guys will um purchase some of our products that way you guys can uh support the podcast and we keep bringing you great guests like we did today speaking of which Mr. Frank, first of all, yeah. let me say uh, I really appreciate you being on and taking out the time, uh, taking out your time to, you know, talk with me and share your story, man. Uh, thank you so again for being the guest. Um, so I will let you have the last word. Uh, definitely, like I said, tell us where we can find your book and your social media handles where we can follow you and give us a word of inspiration. So the floor is yours. Of course. First, I want to say just thank you so much for having me on here. It's a blessing just to be able to have the opportunity to share my story. It's like it's very humbling that people are interested in listening to me talk and just having this opportunity. So thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. 
But to wrap this up, I, it, it circles around with my book. It's like everybody, no matter how old they are, they, they've got a dream in life, <laughs> whether it's a big one or a small one. But we only got one chance at, in, in life. Like we have one life. We have one life to do this. It's like, what do we have to lose? What do, you, what do you have to lose to attempt your dream, to try your dream, to chase your dream? You've got nothing to lose because who knows how much time we have. So maybe limited. You've heard it from me. You've, I, I've explained it with my, my mother and my father. It's like you don't know how much time we have left. So go out there and chase that dream. You've got nothing to lose except for time. And you can't buy time back. So my book, A Journey of Hope, My Path from Pain to Purpose, is live on Amazon.com. My Instagram handle is frankieg3. Please give me a follow. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be speaking for a very long time. My career is just now starting. And everything's falling in line the way God's planned it to. All right. All right. So we can't leave it. I uh, can't end it no better than that. Thank you, uh, Frankie. Uh, again, uh, Frankie, <laughs> thank you, Frank, for being on. Uh, to my listeners, thank you guys for uh, rolling with us one more time um, for the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. And again, our mission is to help people to deal, to heal, and to fulfill, to deal with your problems, to heal from the pain, and to fulfill your purpose. And so until... Uh, to next week. We will see you guys then. Be blessed. Hey guys, I know you're enjoying the podcast. However, don't forget to join our text line at 866-326-0730. That's 866-326-0730 in order to receive text messages with new events and things that is going on and new episodes as they release. All right. See you in a minute. Thanks for listening to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. Remember to listen, like, subscribe, and share. This episode has been brought to you by Deal to Heal Teas. Put some inspiration in your situation. Wear an inspirational tea and be inspired all day. Let's go to dealtohealtees.myshopify.com. Remember, our mission is to help you to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem. Heal from the pain and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for listening.